I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello everyone, welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodie, I am your host, and man, do I have a lot to tell you. First of all, this weekend, my podcasting rig just took a nosedive, and now it's back up, and everything seems to be working, so that's good. The second thing is, uh, we had a little issue with one of our cats, Lenny, and he's got some bumps on his throat, or on his tongue, which caused some breathing problems, which caused us to have to take him to the vet twice and we have another appointment on Thursday so yeah so lots of lots of stress lots of money lots of time and uh, hopefully Lenny will will turn out okay as of right now he's hanging out with my wife on the couch which he does every night so um, he seems to be pretty happy so moving on uh, yesterday Tesla was supposed to announce their unexpected product or project and they didn't. Uh, Elon Musk said that it's going to need some retooling and some more thinking. So that's fine. They're announcing it tomorrow, which is Wednesday. So tomorrow, Wednesday is close enough to Friday when I record the regular podcast. So everything will go. We'll, uh, I'll talk about all that stuff. Unless it's just like out of control announcement that is insane. Um, I'll talk about the announcement on Friday. I'm not going to do a, an additional podcast because that would just be too much. But some here, I have two theories. One is they're going to do a financing company, which this is something that makes sense. I read this online, so it's not exactly my theory. Is the financing company would um, allow Tesla, 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 who has three hundred seventy-five thousand pre-orders, so allow them to get not only the money for the car, but also a little bit of extra for the um, interest rate. It would also increase their risk because if people don't end up not buying the car or paying for the car, then you know they have to repossess it and resell it, and there's a whole lot of nonsense that goes along with that. But it'd be a good thing for Tesla overall. Um, can you imagine the interest? You know, even if it's only four percent interest on three hundred seventy-five thousand cars that cost forty thousand dollars each, that's pretty good. And uh, so you got that part of it. Um, and then you also have the solar city side and the power wall. So com- making one big financing company for all of the stuff that they're going to sell, that makes sense. That makes sense. I think GE does that. And, you know, the 
car other car dealers do that. So that's not too far out of the realm. The other thing is, is a couple of weeks ago we talked about um, Tesla having their own insurance in Australia, I think, and there was another place and I can't remember what it was. Anyway, that would make sense um, here in the United States too, just because Elon Musk, he, you know, he's very protective of his his um, companies, and if he doesn't feel the insurance companies are giving Tesla owners a fair shake in on the insurance side, it would make sense that he would go ahead and say, okay, I'm going to go ahead and bring in um, and make my own, build my own insurance company, or it could be a combination of the two, but those are my two guesses, and uh, it's 9.46 on Tuesday, October 18th, so let's see how wrong or how right I am. But here we are to talk about the something really fun and exciting that I'm looking forward to, and that is the Tesla, or excuse me, the SpaceX announcement. Elon Musk was in Mexico, and he was talking about going to Mars. So I've cut this down into a bunch of clips, and uh, I've made notes. Let me open up my notes program on my iPad here. Let's see. Can I tell you that Good Notes on the iPad Pro with the pen is just game changing for me? I love this app. All right. So, um, here's the first clip. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of introduce the clip because some of this stuff, if you weren't listening to the whole thing, might be a little confusing. So, I'm going to introduce the clip. We'll talk about it when it's done. And then uh, we'll move on to the next one. And hopefully it won't take too long. And hopefully, I mean, more than that, hopefully it's entertaining. So the first, um, Elon Musk comes out and it was basically he's just going to tell you why he's going, why leave Earth? What what reason should we, do we have to leave Earth? So here's that. I mean, first of all, why go anywhere? Right. Um, the, I, I think... There are really two fundamental paths. History is going to bifurcate along two directions. One, one, one path is we stay on Earth forever, um, and then there will be some eventual extinction event. Um, I, I don't have an immediate doomsday prophecy, but there's, it's eventually history suggests there will be some, some doomsday event. Uh, the alternative is to become a spacefaring civilization and a multi-planet species, which uh, I hope you would agree that is the right way to go. So it's pretty obvious what he's saying here is effectively either we're going to go out and we're going to spread out the risk of having a mass human extinction or we're going to stay on earth and then that's just going to be it. When the extinction hits, it's just going to hit. Um, <clears throat> so if you stay on earth, there's, you know... Um, Basically, there's a risk of some sort of asteroid event, like they say, happened to the dinosaurs. You know, we could nuke each other to death. There could be some massive disease. Um, if we go on to being a multi-planet species, then, you know, one planet's wiped out. Um, there's still people on the other planet. Now, when the sun blows up, everything in the solar system screwed. But that's billions of years away, so we won't worry about that for now. Um... Let's listen to the next piece here. 
Uh, so our options for, for, going to, for, for becoming a multi-planet species within our solar system are, uh, are limited. Uh, we have, uh, in terms of nearby options, we've got Venus, uh, but Venus is a high pressure, a super high pressure hot acid bath. Um, so that, that would be a tricky one. Uh, Venus is not at all like um, the, the, the goddess. This is not in no way similar to, to, to the actual goddess. Um, so it's really difficult to make things work on Venus. Uh, Mercury is also way too close to the sun. Um, we could go potentially on the, Mar one, of the, on the one of the moons of Jupiter or Saturn, but those are quite far out, much further from the sun, a lot harder to get to. It really leaves us with one option if we want to become a multi-planet civilization, and that's, that's Mars. Um, we could conceivably go to our moon, um, and I certainly have nothing against going to the moon, but I think it's, it's challenging to create a, uh, to become multi-planetary on the moon because it's, it's much smaller than, than, than a planet. Uh, it doesn't have any atmosphere. It, it's not as resource rich as Mars. Um, it's got a 28 day day, whereas the Mars day is 24 and a half hours. Um, and it, in general, Mars is, is far better suited to ultimately scale up to be a self-sustaining civilization. So, um, if you don't remember where all the planets lined up, and I'm going to be 100% honest with you, I couldn't. I, I got the first, like, five, and I was like, eh, is Neptune, then Uranus, is it Saturn, which one is after Jupiter? So, here's how it goes. It goes the Sun, Mercury, Venus, Earth. So, anything before Earth is going to be way too hot. Um... Mercury is actually quite small, so even if we could, even if that was an option, it wouldn't be a very big planet. Then you have Mars, which is a little smaller than Earth, uh, but it's the next one after Earth, which has similar uh, characteristics of Earth that he'll talk about in the next um, clip. And then it goes Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, and Isis. Eris, not Isis. My eyes are red. So, um, how does Earth? How do Earth and Mars compare? Uh, can we terraform Mars? Uh, what's the gravity under? So, actually, you know what? I'm going to play the clip, and then we'll hear what he says, and then I have some questions. You guys, tell me what you think of those. So, just to give some uh, comparison between the. Uh, the, the, the two planets, um, that they're actually fairly, they're remarkably close in a lot of ways. In, in fact, um, we now believe that, that early Mars was a lot like Earth. And in fact, if we could warm Mars up, we would once again have a thick, a thick atmosphere and liquid oceans. So, but where, where things are right now, Mars is, Mars is about half again as far from the sun as, as Earth. Uh, so still decent sunlight. Um, it, it's a little cold, uh, but we can warm it up. Um, it has a, a very helpful atmosphere, which in the case of Mars being uh, primarily CO2 with some nitrogen and argon and a few other trace elements, means that we can grow plants on Mars just by compressing the atmosphere. Um, and, uh, so and it has nitrogen too, which is also very important for, for growing plants. Um, it would be quite fun to be on Mars because you'd have gravity, which is about uh, 
37% that of Earth. Uh, so you'd be able to lift heavy things and bound around and make a lot of fun. Um, and the, the day is remarkably close to that of, of Earth. And um, so we just need to change that bottom row. Because currently we have 7 billion people on Earth and zero on Mars. So, okay. So here are some questions that I have. He talks about warming Mars up. Now we've already, uh, depending on what you want to believe or what you do believe or whatever the facts are, um, we have global warming in the United and the in the on the planet that we're on, Earth. Um, what's going to be the long-term effects of low warming up Mars? So it may be perfectly fine. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. But that's a concern, a uh, little concern that I had. The other thing is when you, the idea of terraforming Mars, would, you know, because Mars has an atmosphere, the idea of going in and planting um, trees and shrubs and flowers and all that stuff, that's a really cool, that's all, that's a really cool idea. And I'm, I'm all for it. And eventually, because of the byproduct, what, what plants put off is is oxygen what does that mean at some point you can actually walk outside mars without worrying about having your helmet on like the space helmet on or some sort of oxygen on or does that just mean you can grow plants so you can grow food but you still got to stay in some sort of habitat unless you're out of um unless you're in some sort of spacesuit when you go on mars's surface um i would imagine that that would take a quite a long time to to terraform if if it was enough that you could just walk outside and it was just going to be regular oxygen but that's a question i have the other thing is the gravity of mars is not the same of earth and if there's less gravity on mars so he's saying you can jump around and do all sorts of cool fun stuff well when i was a little kid and uh, we were learning about the space shuttle missions we i learned that when you go up into space you actually lose a small percentage of your bone density. So what's going to happen to people when they're in, on Mars? Is there enough gravity to keep that bone density? Because that's kind of what, you know, keeps your bones straight, helps keep, um, makes it so that they're not brittle. And I did a little research on this. In space flight, um, there's something called osteopenia, and you lose 1% of bone per month in space. Um, and this can be ir irreversible damage. So what did they, I mean, what's, what's the plan for that? Because ultimately, like if you're on Mars long enough, are you just going to have some sort of weird um, bone disfiguration? Um, I don't know what that how that whole thing is going to um to to take effect that's going to be very strange so i i don't know that's like uh that's that's a concern i have not that i'm gonna ever go to mars because it's not gonna happen for me friend but uh, like moving forward in the back of your head like you i'm sure you would want to keep your um bones straight and you don't want them to be brittle um but i don't know is that the next uh, step is just to get jelly legs are we just going to evolve to like legless um 
people. I don't know. That, that's just a weird, or frail-legged people. That's just a weird thing. Um, currently, our bodies are adapted to be on this planet. Um, I guess the major, th- the thing that I'm wondering about is how is it going to be, how is or how are our bodies going to adapt on a planet with less gravity? And I'm sure somebody has the answer out there. I, I don't. To the next clip. I mean, it's and it sounds like virtually impossible, but I, I think I think there are ways to do it. This this translates to an improvement of approximately four and a half orders of magnitude. These are the key elements that are needed in order to uh, achieve the four and a half order of magnitude improvement. Most of the the improvement would come from full reusability, somewhere between two and two and a half orders of magnitude, and then the other two orders of magnitude would come from refilling in orbit, uh, propellant production on Mars, and choosing the right propellant. So this, uh, he, he's talking about the four main ways they think that it could be sustainable to get to Mars, like round trip, um, round trip flights to Mars. Because obviously if you take uh, the big spacecraft and you take it to Mars, it's got to find its way back. And there's a lot of fuel when it finds when it's you know coming back there's a lot of fuel that needs to be created so that it can get back so it's not just going to mars has to have some sort of way of creating the fuel for the ship to get back and he'll talk about that later um <clears throat> so there's going to be you know in the beginning there's going to be unmanned missions to mars uh, to start building a city or to have the building blocks there so that when people get there, they can build the city. But Mars travel is going to be expensive. It's going to be about $10 billion per person to go to Mars. And to give you a, just kind of an idea, he says that the Apollo missions cost between 100 and $200 million in current dollars to go to the moon. Um, the cost really for people to, they're, in his opinion, um, in his team's opinion, the cost needs to be around $200,000. They, they use, you know, the average price of a house. So they need to get the cost down to $10 billion a person to $200,000 a person. And the things that he was talking about, that's how you get that price down. Uh, so fuel, uh, full reusability, which is those spaceships are basically, think of just like, um, oh my gosh, hold on one second. Sorry about that. Okay, sorry. So think about um, the Old West and building trains across the United States or across Europe if you are not wanting to think about building trains across the United States. Pick a country or a continent of your choice and build a train across it. Um, at the time, the only way to do it was wagon train. And then the trains came. So this is kind of what Elon Musk and SpaceX is doing. And there are other people out there doing having the same thought about going to Mars. So it's not just SpaceX. But basically, he is creating the train to go from Earth to Mars. So in order to do that, um, you, it, they, the spacecraft needs to be reusable. It can't be one-time use. That's, that's a large amount of money. Um, so what would happen is if the space... The, the spaceship would lift off from Earth and go into orbit. And then the fueling station, and I might be getting a little bit ahead of myself, but the fueling part of that would come back to Earth and land. 
they would refill it, shoot it back into space, fill up the spaceship. I think this is like two or three times they do this, and then it comes back eventually and gets ready to be repurposed. And then the spaceship waits for a window so that Mars and Earth are relatively close to each other. I think it's an 18-month window. He'll talk about that later. And then the spaceship will take off to Mars and, you know, hopefully make it all the way there and then come back. So that is how he plans on getting the cost down to $200,000. So that's the reusability and fueling in orbit part of it. Uh, The propellant, um, I'll let him talk about that on Mars, but basically you have to have a fuel station on Mars so that you can get um, back to Earth and do it all over again. Let's see here. He talks about... uh, here, let's just listen to the next one here, because I don't want to jump too far ahead. I mean, in order to make it appealing um, and, and increase that portion of the Venn diagram of people who actually want to go, um, it's got to be really fun and exciting, um, and it, it can't feel cramped or, um, or boring. So uh, the, the, crew, the crew compartment or the occupant compartment is set up so that you can do zero-G games, you can float around. Uh, there'll be like movies, uh, lecture halls, um, you know, cabins, um, a restaurant. It'll be like really fun to go. You're gonna have a great time. Okay. So apparently, um, maybe I skipped over that part. So basically, what the, what when they look at um, the right propellant th- uh, for Mars, they're looking at methane. There's enough methane on Mars so that they could um, turn that into a fuel for the spaceship returning back. And then um, methane will be the what we use on Earth to get it to Mars. So methane is the fuel of SpaceX choice. Um, just to be clear, because he talks about order of magnitudes. An order of magnitude is 10 times... Um, the number greater or smaller than the number before it. So, and I think, and in the video he explains that, but I don't know if I, I can't remember if I saved that. Um, But the full reusability is key, uh, which we talked about that. Let me just go through my notes. Um, Yeah, he he mentions, you know, if you buy a 777 and you use it one time, the tickets on that for that seventy-seven, that seven seventy-seven is going to be prohibitively expensive for for the normal person to uh, fly. So that's the um, how they make it affordable is these uh, keeping the planes in the air longer and reusing them. So that was the example that he used, which I thought was actually a really good example. The Earth Mars rendezvous happens every twenty-six months, so um, the spaceships they can actually last. Instead of a, a an airplane that gets up in the air and flies three or four times a day, I don't know how long, how many times they fly, but three, four, or five times a day, um, the spaceships would only be used once every 26 months because that's when Mars and um, Earth are close to one another. So it's essentially once every two years, and there'd be like a, there'd be a lot of spaceships up waiting to leave. So you might be in the first wave. 
So you get to space, and now you got to wait for a month for all these thousands of spaceships to be loaded into space, and you're just orbiting the Earth waiting for um, your time to leave. So that that's kind of cool. Um, yeah, they also want to maximize the payloads. So they want to bring as much stuff with them as humanly possible. And that's why um, the fuel on the way, having the fuel station at Mars is important because if you're carrying extra fuel to get back, that's great, but you may not have enough fuel overall or you won't be able to fit as much payload into the, the ships. Okay, we talked about refilling in orbit. The Elon Musk said that refilling in orbit would take would cost up to five hundred percent more. The tickets would cost up to five hundred percent more if they couldn't refill in orbit, which that's huge. Let's see here. And then again, if they couldn't refill on Mars, it would be another five hundred percent more. And Mars would become just a huge junkyard of these one-way ships. Um, so we talked about methane. So the the, the clip that I, I just played, um, it's basically going to be a cruise ship. It's going to be a space cruise ship, and it's, it's going to be the best space cruise ship ever. There's going to be dancing and uh, zero Gs and luxury cabins and restaurants and games and all that stuff um so that's just kind of what he was talking about there um it would take five trips from earth to space for the propellant rocket to to refuel the spaceship and like i said there's going to be a thousand ships on this big huge convoy to mars let's see let's see what else he talks about here this architecture, assuming optimization over time, like the very first flights would be would be fairly expensive, but the architecture allows for a cost per ticket um, of less than two hundred thousand dollars, maybe as less, maybe as little as a hundred thousand um, dollars over time, depending upon how much mass a person takes. So we're right now um, estimating about one hundred forty thousand dollars per ton to the surface of Mars. So if a person plus the luggage is less than that, um, taking into account food consumption um, and life support, then uh, we, we think that the, the cost of, a, of moving to Mars ultimately could drop below $100,000. So that's just more of the stuff that he was, that I was uh, explaining. So let's get so to the next one. So looking the future, uh, next steps. Um, we were kind of intentionally a bit fuzzy about the timeline. Um, but the, we're going to try to make as much progress as we can. Obviously, it's with a very constrained budget, um, but we're going to try to make as much progress as we can on the, uh, the elements of the interplanetary transport uh, booster and spaceship. Um, and, uh, and, and hopefully, we'll be able to, do, to complete the first um, uh, development uh, spaceship in maybe about four years and start doing um, suborbital flights with, with that. Uh, in fact, it actually has enough capability that you could maybe even go to orbit uh, with, if you limit the amount of cargo with the spaceship. Uh, but, well, you have to really, you just have to really strip it down, but 
in, in, in tanker form, it can definitely get to orbit. Um, can't get back, <laughs> we can get to orbit. Um, so he's just saying over time, uh, the more that these things are used and the, uh, if you don't have to build a booster every single time, you don't have to build engines every single time, you don't have to build the fuel, what they call the tanker every single time, eventually this cost is just going to keep coming down and down and down. The spacecraft, it's going to be quite large. A hundred people can uh, live comfortably on this plus cargo. Uh, so it needs to be big. Um, and I think this is the next thing he's going to talk about. For some reason, and this is so weird, but my notes got out of order, and they're all on an iPad, so I don't know how they did that. Oh, well, they didn't do it. I'm sure I did it. So I apologize if it doesn't, if I'm maybe jumping too far ahead. Um, but I put all this stuff together um, this weekend, and when I went to record it, like I said, my podcasting rig died, so we're just kind of... I feel like maybe I should have prepared better. I don't know. I spent hours on this. The good, swear to God, I spent hours on this. So hopefully it sounds like I'm prepared. I feel like I'm flailing here. Spacecraft is a huge 100 people. They need to get a million people on Mars to take um, so that it can take, so it could be considered a real civilization in Elon Musk's uh, and in his team's mind. Um, that could take 40 to 100 years to get the, that many people on there. The spacecraft is actually made of this weird carbon fiber that uses internal pressure to keep the um, spacecraft um, shape, to keep its shape. Some pretty high-tech stuff. And I think he talks about that here. Well, let's see. Uh, it actually, so I was thinking, like, maybe there is some market for really fast transport of stuff around the world. Oh. You know what? This is cool. I don't... Good God. Where in the hell did I do? I must have really... I have notes, but they're all in such a weird order. Okay. And I swear to God, I went through this in order, so I don't know why my notes aren't matching up with the video. But he's talking about... Um, and it's almost like he's he's coming up with this stuff. This is why Elon Musk is neat. It's almost like he's coming up with this stuff while he's talking. But in this next clip, he's going to talk about using... Uh, cargo in the United, you know, in the, in the, on earth, like using rockets as cargo ships, because you can basically be anywhere on earth in 45 minutes if you go up to suborbit. So let's hear him talk about that. Um, provided we can land somewhere where noise is not a super big deal. Um, the rockets are very noisy. Uh, but we, we could transport cargo to anywhere on earth um, in 45 minutes. At the, at the longest. So most places on Earth would be maybe 20, 25 minutes. So um, you know, maybe if we had a floating platform out off the coast of, um, you know, say, uh, off the coast of New York, uh, say 20, 30 miles out, you could go from, um, you know, New York to Tokyo in, I don't know, 25 minutes. Um, across the Atlantic in 10 minutes. As, um, really, most of your time would be getting to the ship, um, and then maybe real quick after that. So there's some, some intriguing possibilities there, um, although we're not we're not counting on that. Can you imagine how terrifying it would be to go from New York to London in ten minutes? That is a intense, intense ride. And on top of that, I'm pretty sure that if you have a pacemaker or some sort of heart condition, you are not allowed on that ship.
So um, let's see how. So this next uh, clip, Elon's going to talk about why they chose to use propulsive landing. And I didn't understand when he started talking about this, what a propulsive landing was and why it was different. And I would explain it here, but he does such a good job explaining it. I'm going to let you listen to him. Yeah, so that's, that, that's part of the reason why we designed Dragon 2 to be a propulsive lander, is as a propulsive lander, you can, you can go anywhere in the solar system. Um, so you could go to the moon, you could go to, well, anywhere really. Um, whereas if something relies on parachutes or wings, um, then you can pretty much only, well, if it's, if it's uh, wings, you can pretty much only land on Earth because you need a runway. And most places don't have a runway. Um, and then any place that doesn't have a dense atmosphere, you can't use parachutes. So, but propulsive works um, anywhere. So, so Dragon should be capable of landing on any uh, solid or liquid surface in the, in the solar system. Isn't it nice how he, he just casually points out that only Earth has runways? Um, yeah, so that's, you know, if you didn't get that, basically a propulsive is little engines that will get you down from space to Earth landing safely. Um, let's see, huh? what's the next one? This next clip, Elon talks about Elon, like we're friends. I like doing that. This next clip, Elon, my good personal friend Elon, talks about why go to Mars? Like, I know we talked about it a little bit in as far as the, you know, there's going to be a catastrophic, catastrophic event eventually on Earth, and it could eventually wipe out our entire civilization and everyone here. Um, but why go to Mars? What's the what's the point? And I think he has a really good answer. It takes him a minute, not a minute. It takes him a little bit to get there, but his ultimate answer is something that I liked a lot and I think you will too. Let's go back here. Um, and to be clear, this is not about everyone moving to Mars, it's about becoming multi-planetary. I think Earth will be a good place for a long time, um, but, uh, but, but it's just, it's the probable lifespan of human civilization will be much greater if we're a multi-planet species. Now that's the defensive argument, but the, the, the argument that I actually find most compelling um, is, that it, is that it would be an incredible adventure. I think it would be the most inspiring thing that I could possibly imagine. And life needs to be more than just solving problems every day. You need to wake up and be excited about the future uh, and be inspired and, and want to live. Hell yeah. I agree with that 100%. Whether that's going to Mars or waking up and hanging out with your kids or your wife or whatever. I think everybody should wake up that way. If you wake up, and this happens to everybody every now and again, but if you wake up and you're just like, I don't want to do anything today. I have nothing to look forward to. If you have too many days like that, that's not that's not something to look forward to. So I agree with him 100%. 100%. So now at this point, because um, I skipped over a lot of the, the real science-y stuff, and you can watch the video, I'll put notes i put the link to the video in the show notes. Um, because I skipped over some of the real science-y stuff, um, I wanted to just... He had he did some uh, questions, question and answers, and some of it was just people pitching their business to him, which was silly. And at one point, a guy was told to sit down, <laughs> sit down and be quiet, 
and I believe it was called, they, they said sit down and shut up. Not Elon Musk or anybody else, just somebody in the crowd said that. Um, but the first question is, or was, um, what about, not, I don't know if that's the first question. The first question that I have, uh, they asked him, what about space radiation? So, and this is what he had to say about that. And that's a, that's a concern that I have. I don't want to get uh, cancer, you know, cruising through space, getting, uh, going to um, the great adventure that is Mars, and then find out, you know, six months later I'm going to die because I have cancer. So I, I totally, I totally get why this person had this question and concern. But Elon Musk doesn't think it's that big of a deal. Uh, sure. Well, I, I mean, the, the, my view on the radiation thing is that there's certainly some risk of radiation. Um, but it's not, it's not, um, it's not deadly. Um, there will be some slight increased risk of, uh, of, of cancer, uh, but it's, it's, I think, relatively minor. Um, you, you need to have some shielding, particularly if there's a solar flare um, or, or sort of a big, uh, it's any kind of sort of solar storm. We'd want to basically point the rocket at the, at the sun and, and maximize your shielding effect. Um, you know, point the rear of the rocket to the sun so you maximize your shielding effect and, and have the passengers cluster around a, a column of water. Um, but I think the radiation risk there is, is relatively small. Can I stop that there? Uh, huddling around a, a, a column of water does not sound like a ton of fun to me. Uh, you know, I understand that there's risks, but maybe we have something else that... Uh, <laughs> maybe there's, there's another way. And maybe the... You know, we add a little bit of, um, I don't know, iron or something to maximize the shielding. Uh, but just, you know, everybody just cruising and hanging out around a big tank of water to so that they're not going to get uh, radiation, enough radiation to get cancer because of a solar storm or solar flare. That seems like, you know, it doesn't seem like a really good answer to me. But, you know, it was these early days. So let's see what else he has to say. Once you're on Mars, obviously you, you cut your radiation in half just because you've got the planet shielding you, um, and then there's at least some atmosphere. Um, and I think um, then what one you can construct over time is an artificial magnetic field um, to deflect uh, high-energy particles. I would really like to know how you construct an artificial magnetic field on Mars. Uh, I'm not being snarky. Um, this sounds really fascinating to me. and. All of this stuff, like his, 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 he's obviously spent a lot of time talking about this or thinking about it, but his like, oh yeah, we just do this to fix that. No big deal. Uh, just, you know, cracks me up. Not even something I would have really thought of. Obviously, I'm not a scientist or even that smart of a guy. So I actually think the radiation thing is, is, is um, it's often brought up, but I think it's not, not uh, too big of a deal. The, um, and then there's what happens once, once people are there. Um, I mean, the, the goal of SpaceX is really to build the transport system. It's like building the Union Pacific Railroad. Um, and, and, and once, once that transport system is built, um, then there's uh, a tremendous opportunity for anyone who wants to go to Mars and create um, something new or uh, um, build the, the foundations of a new planet. So it's like, who, who wants to sort of be, you know, among the founding members of a, of a new planet, uh, and, and like I said, built everything from iron refineries to, to the first pizza joint. They're, they're, you know, we'll, we'll want them all. 
Um, and then things on Mars that no people can't even imagine today that might be unique or would be unique to, to Mars. Um, and, um, but but that, that's, that's really where um, a tremendous amount of entrepreneurship and, and talent would flourish. Um, just, just as happened in California when the Union Pacific Railroad was completed. Um, and, and when they were building the Union Pacific, they, a lot of people said, well, that's a super dumb idea because there's, no, you know, there's hardly anybody lives in California. Um, but now, you know, today, we've got a sort of the, at least the you know, US epicenter of technology development um, and entertainment, and, um, and it's, it's the biggest state in, in the nation. So, um, but you need that transport link. If you can't get there, and none of those opportunities exist. Uh, so, so our goal is just to make sure you can get there. Okay, so we kind of talked a little bit about that, about you know the the railroad and being the transport system. So I don't know that there's too much to say about that. The next is, uh, you know, the next question was, are you going to be able to return? Actually, you know what? I should go before that. I don't think I wrote this down, but I don't think I did the clip on it. Somebody asked, and this was really nice. Um, and who knows, I've been surprised tonight a lot, so it might come up in the next clip or the clip after that. But somebody asked Elon, who should go to Mars? Is it, you know, and who should be the first to go to Mars? You know, and I think he was asking more of like electrical engineers, mechanical engineers, architects, scientists, that kind of thing. And Elon Musk had a very simple answer. Uh, said the first people should be people prepared to die because this is going to be very very dangerous mission and it's like well uh, okay um that makes total sense because uh, all honesty your 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 likelihood of dying is quite high because these are untested ships for the most part you know they're they're not in a they've never been tested interplanetary so these are untested ships you know it's a new uh planet and they're going to have to land the ship on Mars, collect all their crap together, take the ship back off from Mars, and go come back. I mean, there's a lot that can go wrong there. So I just thought that was a uh, funny question. Let's see. Do, 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 do. Um, yeah, so uh, one of these is uh, the next question would be, will you be returning from Mars? And I think he has a good answer, basically, and I'll let him say it, but basically his answer is, well, people are going to want to come back. You have to give them that option. And I agree with that, because you might spend four or five years of your life on Mars and then miss your family. So, And the ship's coming back anyway. So let's, I think that's pretty much what he's going to say, but let's I, I see. Think, I think it's pretty important to give people the option of returning. Um, like the, the, the number of people who will be willing to... Um, move to Mars is much greater if they know that they have the option of returning, um, even if they never actually return. Um, I mean, most of the people that went to the original English colonies in North America, they never returned to Europe even once. Um, but, but some did. And just knowing that if you don't like it there, that you can come back, um, I think makes a big difference in people's willingness to, to go there in the first place. Um, and in any case, we need the spaceship back, so it's, go it's coming. You can jump on board or not. It's cool. You get you get a free return trip if you want. So yeah, that that's pretty much what we had talked about. One of the things that uh, 
they asked one person asked is what what kind of special training or requirements would you need to go to Mars which kind of goes back to the first question that we were talking about and he said you know probably a few days of training nothing big so um, going to Mars is not much more than you know going to you know a, a third world country that might have a lot of violence or any country that might have a lot of violence you just kind of need to be prepared um and <laughs> that's pretty much it it was pretty nonchalant you know yeah a few days of training should be good haven't given it much thought so the next question is and it, again it goes back to why go to space why why travel outside of earth and basically what he says is, you know, you could be anywhere in 24 hours, but we've pretty much exhausted, not pretty much, we've spent, we've discovered a lot of the places on Earth. I mean, the ocean still kind of has some uh, mystery to it, but anywhere on Earth, we the large portions, we've already made those discoveries, so now it's time to move on. So let's, let's see. It's like the Newlywood game does... Is what I'm saying going to match up with what Elon is saying? I don't know. Let's listen. The truth is, like, right now on Earth, you can basically go anywhere in 24 hours. I mean, anywhere. Um, go, you, can get, you, can go, you can fly over the uh, Antarctic Pole and parachute out 24 hours from now if you want. Um, you can, get, um, you can, you can get, get parachuted to the top of Mount Everest um, from the right plane. Um, and... That you can go to the bottom of the ocean. Um, Earth, Earth, from a physical standpoint, you can go anywhere, anywhere. Um, so there, there is no real physical frontier on Earth anymore, but space is, is that frontier. Um, and so I think it's going to appeal to anyone with that, with that exploratory spirit. So, yeah, pretty much what we were talking about before. Um, the next question... Good God. So far, this is going a little bit better than it was before. The next question is, how much funding and resources is Elon Musk and SpaceX putting towards this? And this makes a lot of sense because right now they have contracts and they're doing really well, with the exception of the one rocket that blew up. They're doing really well with getting things in space, uh, like satellites and things like that, for private companies and NASA. So um, his overall... Um, investment of time and resources is actually, you know, quite reasonable, and I think um, it's a sustainable plan. I don't know what SpaceX's finances looks like, but it sounds like a sustainable plan for the company. Here. Well, right now, the uh, resources that are being put into the interplanetary transport system are are pretty low. I mean, certainly well under five percent of the company, um, uh, and maybe uh, we're spending. Uh, a few tens of millions of dollars on it right now, so it's it's relatively small. Um, and but then as as we um, finish development of the uh, sort of the, the, the final version of uh, Falcon 9, uh, which should, should be sometime next year, and Dragon uh, 2, um, and, and and get the uh, reusability of the boost stage and reusability of Dragon 2 sorted out, then we'll, gra we'll gradually apply more and more resources to the interplanetary system. So that, I mean, that's, that sounds totally reasonable. That I can't even really add to that other than, you know, he's so serious about it. He's got a 
young, relatively young company in SpaceX, and he's willing to say, okay, we got to space, we got, you know, satellites into space, now we landed, relanded a rocket, so now let's go ahead and uh, tackle the next, um, the next uh, step. Before even really, not to say they're not, they haven't perfected. I mean, the rocket blew up on on uh, the launch pad, so you know, launching rockets into space is a dangerous business. But they're just like Elon Musk seems to be kind of like my boss. Like I, I like my boss, my captain on my truck. I like him a lot, but he's a really impatient man. And if he tells you to do something, you know, for the most part, if it's not important, he doesn't. You know, he could take a little bit to get it done. But if we're on a fire or an emergency call and he says do something and you kind of lollygag, you know, he's going to light you up. He's not a very patient person in that regard. Um, Also, if you're not doing something, he'll just grab something from you and and do it. So um, I like people like that. Uh, So Elon Musk, um, and I get along with people like that. So Elon Musk, you know, clearly has that. Okay, we're done with this. Let's move to the next thing. And uh, not a whole lot of looking back, but, you know, who, I'm just basing this off of, you know, videos and interviews that I've seen. I don't know the man. This is, I didn't have a video for this, but someone asked if Elon would be, would want to go to Mars. And uh, basically he said, you know, he'd want to see his kids grow up, which, you know, totally makes sense. I want to see my kids grow up. Um, but, you know, if he chose to do that at some point in time in his life, he would have to make sure that all of his companies are, kind of tucked in with the right leadership so that he can feel confident that he can go to Mars and basically at that point, you know, retire, doing whatever Elon Musk does when he retires, which is probably think up big, like a a tube, vacuum tube that goes from Mars to Jupiter. Who knows? Who knows what he would think up? Just left his own device sitting on a planet in Mars. Um, but yeah, so the next one should be about interstellar travel. Let's see. Interstellar, yes. Um, I mean, I think if we were to do interstellar travel, the best way to do it would, would be with uh, kind of an antimatter drive. Um, that would give you the best, obviously, mass efficiency. It's difficult to be. If you didn't know that, I mean, good God. If you didn't know that using antimatter drive to get to interstellar, I don't even know. I don't even know which program you're listening to. Um, some, sometimes this guy just blows me away how smart he is. That's not something that I would have thought of, but then again, I'm not into space bar. I just wouldn't have thought of, even if I worked at, I, if I was the, I wouldn't, I would, I wouldn't be qualified to be the janitor at SpaceX, but if I was there somehow by a fluke, I still wouldn't understand what the guy, this guy was talking about. Antimatter drive, but let's, let I'll stop interrupting him. Uh, antimatter. Um, so, um, I, you know, but even in a best case scenario, that's really quite a long journey to even to get to Proxima Centauri. I think um, the key thing is to establish a, a base on, on Mars. And as soon as there's a base on Mars, then there's a, a very powerful forcing function for improving uh, space transport technology. I mean, right now, there, there just isn't that forcing function, because all we do is is, is very local stuff in, in Earth orbit. Um, so as soon as we've got a base on, on Mars, 
Um, I mean, conceivably even a base on the moon, but, but certainly a base on Mars. Uh, that creates a very powerful forcing function for making space technology better and better every year. And, and, um, and that's ultimately what will lead us to uh, interstellar travel. Um, I think trying to do interstellar travel right off the bat um, is, would be very tricky. You know, sort of like uh, if, you're, if you're developing aircraft, you, you really want to first do the right flyer and then maybe get to a DC-3 and then a 707 and, a, and then a you know, 747. But, but trying to build the 747 right off the bat would be a tall order. That's a really good example of how to look at traveling to space. We live in a world right now where there's so much technology and so much innovation happening. Like every single year you get a new phone and, well, you don't get a new phone. Every single year the big manufacturers put on a new phone and there's, you know, it does this much more and it has this much more power. And we live in this technology, this, this world where we're just inundated with new technologies and new ways to do things and better and better and better. And sometimes we forget that this is a new traveling with a spaceship to Mars with people is a new concept, new idea. And this is basically, you know, what the Wright brothers built, this very basic spaceship that he's building, which is incredibly complicated. But eventually there will be something as good as the 777. So that's a really interesting way of putting that. And I like that. The next one I th just thought was kind of funny because this guy asks um, Elon about some space something or another. And uh, Elon Musk goes off about um, acronyms and then he just kind of adds something nice to the end that I thought was was nice. I, I, I mean, it's, 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 the names thing is really, really hard. Um, I, think, I think like maybe for, the, for the, the name of the first ship that goes to Mars, not the name of the whole sort of the ship line or whatever, um, necessarily, but the first ship that goes to Mars, like my current favorite is, is uh, Heart of Gold from the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, so I think, I think probably we'll name the first ship that goes to Mars Heart of Gold. And, um, uh, and I like the fact that it's, that it's driven by uh, infinite improbability, because uh, I think our ship is also <laughs> extremely improbable. So, um, uh, so I like the infinite probability drive. Um, the, the acronym is not the best. <laughs> so yeah, that's the, the he didn't actually end up. I, I think even answering that guy's question, I just thought it was weird. Uh, it was, I thought it was funny because he just kind of crawled into his own head and he was just like, actually, um, let me tell you about what we're gonna do with the the first ship. So it was just a nice off the cuff. And Elon Musk no, is known for this, and sometimes he over. He gets so excited about something or he just wants to, um, sounds like he's a very forthright person. And as a CEO of a, of a, basically a tech company, you don't want to give away too much of your hand. And in the past, he's, you know, in interviews, he's talked, overspoke what maybe he should have and made promises and said things in public that maybe the people at, at uh, uh, the, those companies that he worked for didn't want him to say those things, but the public loves it. And I think that was just like a little taste of what, uh, that used to be. He's gotten a lot better at keeping quiet. And the final one is someone asked if NASA should scrap its own Mars plan and back Elon's. And I think that, I mean, again, I, I didn't pick any bad answers. I think he had a good answer to this as well. 
Um, I, I think it's good for there to be multiple paths to to Mars. So, um, you know, I wouldn't suggest any anything, you know, any attempt at uh, interplanetary travel be be cancelled. I, I think it's good to have multiple irons in the fire, um, and, um, and and in fact. Like a, a big part of me coming here today was to really try to encourage the international community to 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 to, to think about uh, building architectures like this. Um, I, I think it's actually much better for the world if there are multiple companies or, or organizations uh, building interplanetary spacecraft. Um, you know, um, the, the the more the better. Um, anything I think that. Um, improves the probability that the future is good, um, and um, and so, so and multiple companies doing it, I think, would be would be um, would be great. So that's a good way to end it. I think that uh, is you know this is going to be a difficult challenge for us as humans and more people working on the problem instead of just one uh, group working on the problem is better. That's going to get us a uh, more rounded uh, I don't know if I want to say view but it's going to there's going to be multiple groups with multiple ideas and hopefully these groups will share the information with each other and come up with one like a standards body come up with a standard to get to Mars and I think that's going to end up being what's um, best for us uh, interplanetary humans because, you know, SpaceX is full of a lot of really smart people, NASA, Blue Origin, all these, uh, you know, the Chinese, uh, if you believe the movie, um, The Martian has a, you know, pretty good space program. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the space program for the Chinese is. I don't know anything about space programs, to be honest with you. I liked space when I was a little kid, very into the, like, the Challenger launches and... I even saw some, I was, I'm old enough to, to have seen some actual rocket launches on TV. Um, so as a child, I really liked it, and I'm still interested in adult, but I, I, I don't take the time to really get down to the nitty-gritty details. But yeah, the um, more eyes on this problem, more brains on this problem is a good thing, and hopefully they just kind of all come together and create some sort of standards. They don't have to all work together in terms of, um, you know, you have a rocket, I have a rocket, let's just have our own rockets, that's fine, but share some information, because this is dangerous, this is, this is going to be very dangerous for the people flying to, traveling to Mars, and it could potentially be very dangerous for the people living around the areas where they're launching these ships to travel to Mars, so it's kind of in the responsibility to come up with uh, uh, standards and like best practices so that you know as few people as possible end up dying on these trips because if you want to get to a million and you're wiping out you know three or four hundred every time you fly to Mars people are going to stop wanting to go so <clears throat> with any luck um, with any luck they'll people talk to each other and this will end up being a really positive thing in our history and hopefully it's not catastrophic. So that is it. This has been, I think I can probably, in another minute and 20 seconds, this will be one hour, longest podcast I've done by myself. 
and uh, or I had a guest, I guess, Elon did a lot of the talking, and uh, he did a lot better job of it, if I'm being honest. So <clears throat> here's how you get in contact with me. Bodie at 918digital.com is my email. Twitter handle is 918digital. You can call me uh, and leave a message if you want, and nobody's done that so far, but I'd really like it if you did, at 918-401-0071. Um, leave a review if you um, are so inclined, because that helps um, our ratings in the listing podcast listing places like iTunes and Google Play and that place kind of stuff. Um, I have another podcast called Oblivious and I have a sticker pack for iOS. I'm working on the second one right now. Not right now, but this week I'll be working on the second one. And uh, that'll also be in the show notes. Um, so if you want any more information about the video um, or you want information about what else I'm working on, please go to the show notes and check that out. Uh, again, if you leave a review, it really helps us out. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. And I'll talk to you guys on Friday.